Hey, it is Melissa. I know, my mini-sode episodes usually follow the theme of the series before them, which was Sondheim in our case, but it happens to be the 110th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, and since my first series was about the Titanic, I wanted to pay tribute to two of its unsung heroes, the Marconi operators, Harold Bride and Jack Phillips. This is a story that gets lost, so don't mind me if we focus on that today. We'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming soon. CQD, CQD, this is Titanic. CQD, CQD, this is Titanic. Position 41.44 north, 50.24 west. CQD, CQD, this is Titanic. Titanic, this is Carpathia. Oh man, we are 58 miles off. The Olympic is trying to reach you. Can you hear him? Carpathia to Titanic, putting about and heading for you. Expect to arrive in four hours. Frankfurt to Titanic, what is the we matter? Are coming as fast as we can. Mount Temple to all ships. CQD, Titanic CQD require assistance. Corrected position 41.46 north. Five Baltic zero coming to your assistance. CQD. Olympic to Titanic, Olympic to Titanic. Virginia Who to has Titanic. struck an iceberg? Your signal Who? is getting weaker. We can all hear you. Can you repeat? Race. Titanic gives corrected position. 41.46 north. We have collision west. with iceberg sinking. Can nothing here for noise of steam. Sit about 15 to 20 times. Attention all ships, this is Cape Race, Titanic gives corrected position, 41.46 Carpathia engine room, west. full calling to boilers. All ships head to Titanic, this is CQD. Baltic, this is Titanic, Captain Smith says to have all your lifeboats ready, Mount you do not have enough. All ships. This is the Titanic calling Titanic. SOS. We need to use your emergency backup, we can barely hear you. Cape Race to Titanic. Virginian is coming to your assistance. Their position 170 miles Cape north. Cape Race, has anybody Titanic. heard from the Californian? Olympic to all ships. Clear the line. We cannot hear the Titanic. Stop talking. Titanic. CQD. CQD. SOS. SOS. This is Titanic. We are sinking fast. Passengers being put into lifeboats. CQD. CQD. SOS. SOS. This is tight. Virginian to Titanic, we can no longer read you. Have you lost power? You may need to use your emergency backup. Virginian to Titanic, do you read? Olympic to Carpathia, Olympic to Carpathia, do you see them? Have you arrived? Carpathia to Olympic. We see lifeboats. Several lifeboats. The ship is gone. And proceeding to Halifax or New York full speed, you 
You better proceed to Liverpool. Have about 800 passengers on board. The story of Harold Bride and John Jack Phillips tends to get lost in those dots and dashes. But when you really read the transcripts of what transpired in the hour and 50 minutes of radio traffic from the Titanic to its surrounding ships, you see something. That something is the ability of two very, very young boys. Jack had just turned 25 on the voyage. Harold was 21, and despite their age and fear that they must have felt, they persevered, getting the message out, fixing a broken Marconi machine when company policy was to leave a wireless signal be. Let it be broken until you got into the harbor of your port of call. Can you imagine what would have happened if the Titanic had struck an iceberg with no Marconi wireless system, no one would have known. No one would have known to go looking for survivors in lifeboats. I imagine the death toll would have been extremely high if not everyone on the ship. It would have been a great mystery. What happened to the Titanic? But because Jack Phillips was a whiz kid, he knew exactly what to do to fix the Marconi. And that saved every single life that night that was saved. We can talk about Jack getting overwhelmed. We can talk about Harold's contradictory testimony. But at the end of the day, I think it's important to remember that these two young men are responsible for the saving of 700 souls. And that they stayed at their post long after they'd been told to abandon it. Jack Phillips would die in freezing cold water of hypothermia, most likely. He was exhausted and could not stand upon collapsible B. Harold Bride, who was injured very, very badly with a sprained ankle and frostbite, would climb on board the Carpathia and take over the wireless room to make sure that everyone knew their family members were okay. He sent messages for days. There's a photo of him being carried off the Carpathia with wrapped feet, unable to walk. This wreck would destroy Harold. He was racked with guilt over Jack, over other things. But on this 110th anniversary, let's honor Harold Bride and John Jack Phillips, two of God's favorites. This is God's Favorites, a history podcast, the mini-sode. Harold Bride and Jack Phillips, the Titanic's Marconi wireless operators. On April 13, 1912, 
Titanic's Marconi wireless system stopped working. They were unable to transmit messages to anyone. And Marconi company policy was very strictly to bring broken radio systems into port. There, Marconi would dispatch engineers who would come and fix the broken wireless system. The thing was that John Jack Phillips was an extremely capable engineer himself, though he was a wireless operator. He was the senior wireless operator on board Titanic. But Phillips had been around the company. He had worked on the Oceanic and the Adriatic and knew his way around a Marconi. So he broke protocol. And that decision would both save many lives, but also be a source of exhaustion. Both Jack Phillips and Harold Bride were up all night working on getting the machine going. The purpose of the Marconi Wireless, of course, was to receive warnings and talk to and communicate with other ships. But their job was also to send out passenger messages, people who could not wait to get a message out urgently to a loved one or business associate. The outage had compiled a backlog for Jack, which proved to be a source of frustration. Jack was something of a whiz kid, and he was able to know exactly what was causing the issue with the transmitter. Much like most 20-year-olds in a modern workplace who have to fix most of their colleagues' emails or PDFs, Jack went to work, and within 14 hours of the sinking, the Marconi was back up and running. But Jack had worked through his allotted time to sleep, and this would make his day difficult. When you read transcripts, you can see where Jack is starting to lose his temper or be grumpy in his responses. He was frustrated and exhausted. But that shouldn't make you think less of him, mainly because all these Marconi guys knew one another, much like the crews of the White Star Line knew each other. They traveled around together, swapping ship to ship. It had been a busy week for Jack. He, on April 11th, celebrated his 25th birthday. The White Star Line had produced a cake for Jack. It was very small and had a single candle, but everyone from Harold Bride to the captain swung by to wish him well. From that point on, Jack had a backlog of messages from passengers and crew to get to. So an influx of ice warnings were complicating the situation. Harold Bright had agreed to come in a little bit earlier on his call so that Jack could get some rest after the night's work. But they couldn't know that in less than a few hours that Jack and Harold would be at the center, would be at the center of one of the biggest maritime disasters in history. The Marconi on the Titanic used something called spark gap wireless transmissions, meaning that small little sparks of electricity created a radio signal, and that radio signal was using dots and dashes to spell out things in Morse code. This system, which was used for ship-to-shore communications, had a guaranteed radius of 250 miles, but when it was clear, communication could be had up to 400 miles, and sometimes at night, up to 2,000, maybe more. But if you came across another vehicle with spark gap wireless, you wouldn't be able to not hear the other person who had it. This will cause a run-in with the Californian, but I'll get to that in just a minute. Because at 9.30, something very, very important happens, and if I could get the answer to just one Titanic mystery, this would be the one. 
a message from the Masaba. We talked about the Masaba Telegraph a little bit in my Charles Lightoller series. It's a big point of contention between Harold Bride and Charles Lightoller. And I do kind of believe Lightoller's account more. Not necessarily because I think Charles Lightoller was the pinnacle of a truth teller. It's just that his story makes sense in connection with what is recorded by the Masaba. In latitude 42 north to 41.25 north, longitude 49 west to 50.3 west. Saw much heavy pack ice and great number of large icebergs, also field ice, weather good, clear. It takes five minutes for Jack to respond to this message with a received thanks. The Titanic had been getting flooded with ice warnings. The thing with the Masaba telegraph that makes this so vital is that this was in the Titanic's direct path. The Masaba responds to Jack with a standby, indicating that they were waiting for a confirmation that this message, this vital message, had made it to Bridge and Officer of the Watch, which at this point was Second Officer Charles Lightoller. This is the watch before Murdoch's and when the ship hits the iceberg. Jack, who is continuing to send out a backlog of messages, never responds to the confirmation request from the Masaba. As Lightoller tells it in his book, Titanic and Other Ships, they never got that message because any officer, he noted, would have seen the Masaba telegraph, known that was in their path, and slowed down from the 22 knots that they were going. But before anyone puts the blame entirely on Jack, let's be clear, they should not have been going that fast through the ice field at any rate. They relied too confidently on the fact that they thought they knew where all the ice was. And then comes the incident with the stopgap wireless that I mentioned earlier, the inability to not hear another ship with this wireless system. The Californian mostly is known as the ship that was close enough to Titanic that it would have likely made it by the time the ship sank. Would that have stopped all the deaths? No, but it would have prevented more. The thing was... Though the Titanic was staffed 24 hours around the clock, the Californian was not. The wireless operator went to bed shortly after this exchange with Jack Phillips. To be clear, I don't think the Californian did not answer because of this exchange. I just think that it's quite unfortunate. At 11 p.m., the RMS Californian messages the Titanic and says, Say, Old man, we are stopped and surrounded by ice, making conversation and also making them aware of the situation. To which Phillips, who is inundated with messages from the backlog, snaps back about 10 minutes later. Keep out, shut up, shut up, I am busy, I am working Cape Race. Shortly after this exchange, the wireless operator of the Californian turns off their wireless. He goes to bed, and when he wakes up, he will learn that the plucky boy who was snipping at him was dead. Jack is approaching the end of his shift at this point because Harold has agreed to come in a little earlier than midnight to relieve the man. They were both tired, but Harold at least had some sleep, and Jack was clearly in need of it. It's around 11.40 that Frederick Fleet, Titanic's lookout, notices a floating object on the horizon. It's dark, but it's coming up quickly. You know the rest iceberg right ahead and a hard to starboard to avoid the berg. 
as I said in the Lightoller series, it really would not have mattered which direction they turned because they were going too fast. And what happens is a rip of lines of six watertight compartments. These watertight compartments were engineered to save the ship from sinking quickly, to keep it afloat while it limped along. But it was at most engineered to stay afloat with two compartments full. The speed and turn had ripped holes in six and they were filling completely. There was nothing that could have saved the Titanic at this point. At some point after the collision, Harold Bride groggily wakes up and goes to relieve Jack. And he finds Jack kind of confused as to what's going on. But then around midnight, Captain E.J. Smith comes in with a note. We've hit a berg. Here are our coordinates. I need you to send the distress call. CQD. This was the common distress call at the time. Now, SOS did exist, but had never been used in the Atlantic before. Initially, the calculations were incorrect. Fourth Officer Joseph Boxel figured this out really quickly, and then they sent a correction out via Cape Race. And what follows next is pure chaos. Robert Hudson at Cape Race gets the first CQD call, and he knows he's going to have to start a log just in case of an inquiry or anything. Surely not, though. The Titanic is unsinkable. We have a log of one hour and 50 minutes of dots and dashes. But it all starts with one message. CQD, CQD, this is Titanic. CQD, CQD, this is Titanic. Other ships began to hear the exchange of Titanic, and there was confusion as ships began typing messages one over the other, At one point, the Frankfurt, a German ship, is really curious and allows that curiosity to interrupt the transmissions with, hey, what's going on? He kept asking until Jack, frustrated, responded, you are a fool. 120 miles away, the Olympic begins hearing the mutterings that Titanic has hit an iceberg. But they don't want to believe it, so they begin asking the Titanic directly. The Olympic keeps trying to reach the Titanic, but initially it's slightly out of range, even though it's fairly close, 120 miles away. The Olympic begins directly asking the Titanic who has struck an iceberg. Flustered, Jack writes back, it was us, we hit it. And I will never not think about this moment. Not long after the sinking, as the cold water started to build up in the belly of the ship, Steam began pouring out of the boilers loudly to the point that no one could overhear it. It was screaming into the sky. It's at this moment that Lightoller is asking Captain E.J. Smith, should we get the women and children, sir? Mistaking Smith's order of women and children first for women and children only. At this exact moment, Jack becomes frustrated. I can hear nothing for steam. I've been trying to send this message 15 to 20 times. The electricity continues to flicker while 39 engineers work below deck to keep the power on so that the messages can be sent and that those on the ship can stay warm until they get on a lifeboat. Jack is joking about the CQD call and says, hmm, maybe I should send SOS instead, referencing the new call that had never been used in the Atlantic before. Harold Bride very dryly points out, might be your last chance to use it. Go ahead. Harold said this exchange would haunt him for the rest of his life because it was the only time Jack Phillips ever got to use SOS. 
Meanwhile, the Californian is 20 miles away, watching distress rockets shoot in the sky. And Captain Stanley Lord is on deck watching this, but he thinks it's surely just entertainment for passengers, not not an actual sign of distress. He just tells them that they should notate the time. And then he goes to bed. They don't wake up the wireless operator. She was 20 miles away. Of all the surrounding ships, the crew of the Californian gets lambasted, publicly shamed. Captain Stanley Lord would have to spend his life apologizing for it. The next closest ship was the Carpathia at 58 miles away, four hours. Their wireless operator had to convince their captain that, no, this wasn't a joke. The Titanic had struck an iceberg and needed help, and they bravely set off at a higher rate of speed than normal, going through the same ice fields the Titanic had just gone through. It was dangerous, but they knew they were the only hope for the survivors. They reached full steam at 18 knots, which was much higher than their normal speed. The crew of the Carpathia would be honored for their bravery, but in the end, there was not much they could have done. They were too far away, without the capabilities of speed. And the Carpathia remained the Olympics' main source of contact about what was going on, relaying messages when they could about what they were seeing. Number seven on the starboard side is the very first lifeboat lowered. It only has 27 people on board, although it has room for 65, and many of the lifeboats are going to be launched underweight. I don't think they knew that they were going to sink. I think it had not sunk in for most. As it becomes more clear, the numbers will go up in the lifeboats. Jack is typing the whole time, with electricity flickering and messages going out. The Virginian constantly telling them, you may need to use your emergency backup if your power goes out. Can barely hear you. Your signal is weakening. There's nothing Jack can do about this, but he's growing more and more frustrated. At one point, the Olympic asked Jack, are you going to turn southerly to meet us? The Titanic could not move. No, we're putting women and children in the lifeboats, Jack responds. Cape Race is working to... Make sure that everyone has the Titanic's coordinates. They had been updated since Boxwell's first initial miscalculation. As they continue to chirp over each other, the Olympic frustratedly calls out to the night, Will you shut up? We cannot hear the Titanic. There's something I think a lot of people don't realize that is happening here. The crews of the White Star Line all knew each other. They had all worked together. Chief Officer Henry Wilde had been on the Olympic coming on as a last-minute addition to the crew. They were listening to their friends die with no way to get to them and no way to help. It's a helpless feeling, and all they can do is shout at others to remain quiet so they can hear Jack and Harold as they type out messages. Around 2 a.m., Captain Smith comes into the radio room. He looks at Jack and Harold and thanks them for their excellent work. It's time to abandon post. It's every man for himself. Thank you, and good luck. The power is still on, so Jack won't move. He keeps typing messages. Harold begins begging Jack to leave. He will do nothing except tap out messages. At this point, Harold runs into a back room to get their life vest, 
But as he does that, he spots a passenger trying to steal Jack's life belt. The passenger tries to run away, but Harold attacks him. A fight ensues, and he punches the man, rendering him unconscious at the very least. At worst, killing him. Harold returns to the room shaken up. Jack is finally realizing that this is the end. Harold placed the vest over Jack's head, but he's still lingering. The electricity is flickering. It's here. Jack decides to send his last message right after 2.15 a.m. Those who listen say it's very faint. The Titanic had gone quiet for a while as the power flickered, but this signal was very, very quiet. CQD. CQD. SOS. SOS. This is Titanic. We are sinking fast. Passengers being put into lifeboats. CQD. CQD. SOS. SOS. This is Titanic. Jack never finishes the message. The ship is dying. Titanic will be at the bottom of the ocean in less than 10 to 15 minutes. The only lifeboat left is collapsible lifeboat B, Charles Lightoller's boat that overturns. It's an unsuccessful launch. It flips upside down, and as it does, it actually lands on Harold Bride, who is running out of the room. He becomes trapped under the boat. Pinned as water rushes up around him, he must have thought he was going to drown instantly. He's banging and beating on the boat. Gets safely washed away. It's not exactly clear what happens to Jack Phillips in these moments. We know what happens to Lytoler, his watch freezing right at 2.19, almost at the precipice of 2.20. As he falls into the water, washed after falling off the port side, he becomes pinned up against a grate by water. Grate is at the base of a funnel, which actually falls over while he's underwater, barely missing him. The funnel pushes the boat away from the ship, and Harold Bright is actually able to swim out from underneath it. Lytoler is freed by an explosion caused by either the breakup of the ship or the funnel collapsing, one of the two. Maybe a boiler exploded. It's hard to tell because there was a lot of things going on. But Lytoler survives miraculously after being underwater for probably around two minutes. He gets washed up next to collapsible B and manages to climb aboard. And here's where a discrepancy happens. Lytoler will say he finds Jack Phillips in the water, barely clinging to life, with him frantically apologizing about not getting the Masaba telegraph to him. I put it under my elbow. I'm so sorry, Lytoler says he whispered. But there was nothing to be done, and Lytoler pulled Jack aboard. But Jack had been up all night the night before. He had not slept the entire day, and he could not stand. Lytoler tried to keep him awake, telling him he could not go to sleep, but... Eventually, Jack stopped responding to Lytoler's questions, and the boy who fixed a machine and saved the lives of 700 or more slept. Jack Phillips died. He was 25 years old. Before sailing, he had sent his sister a postcard. He had sent the card to Elsie. While the Titanic was at port in Belfast, it left the docks on April 2nd, heading to Southampton. 
Very busy working late. Hope to leave on Monday and arrive in Southampton Wednesday afternoon. Hope you quite okay. The message ends. Love, Jack. On board the Carpathia, Harold Bride had to be carried because his feet were injured. It appeared to be a sprained ankle and frostbite. But he insisted on being carried to the wireless room where he kicked out the wireless operator and took over sending messages to family members, free of charge, letting them know that their family member was okay. Many people protested against this use of the Marconi system, but Guillermo Marconi himself said that was the right and humane thing to do. It stopped the scandal. Harold would not rest, he would not sleep, just kept sending messages. It wasn't until the 18th that Guillermo Marconi himself came into the room where a young, exhausted boy was typing out messages, put his hand on his shoulder and said, that's hardly worth sending now, boy. Harold seemed starstruck by Marconi, who had come out of kindness for the boy who would not stop working. And then Harold fell apart. Phillips is dead, sir. He stood his ground as long as he could, but he's dead. Marconi would eventually give Harold a watch, a gold watch, thanking him for his heroism. Some of his family members would later find this watch after he died and had never known who their relative was and his role in the Titanic disaster. Bride was ever defensive about Jack. This was his friend and... When it came out that Lytoller had testified that he had found Jack in the water, had tried to save him, but then learned in the meantime that Jack had forgotten to give him a message, Harold insisted that Charles Lytoller was a liar. He would never, Jack would never do that. He was too skilled. And thus, Harold Bride testified as such. No, 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 no. He would not have misplaced that. And Lytoler is a liar. Jack was dead in the water when we found him. I still see many people use this argument against Charles Lytoler's testimony, but the thing is that Harold Bride would contradict this testimony later, saying he did not remember what had happened to Jack. He had been in and out of consciousness from pain while on the back of collapsible B. And all he knew, he told an interviewer, was that Jack had died on that boat. A complete 180-degree turn. But Bride took the feud public in the newspapers, writing an editorial saying that Lytoller was putting the blame on the wrong man and that Jack was far too qualified to have ever made such an egregious error. But Lytoller pointed out, no, I don't blame Jack. And a steward who survived on top of collapsible B testified that Jack had been alive when they found him in the water. Charles Lightoller was frustrated with Harold, but he simply wrote back, I blame no man for what happened. And then Harold Bride seemingly disappeared. He refused to talk about the Titanic. His family did tell a reporter later that he would often play with a radio that he had at his home and talk to strangers from around the world who had no idea that they were talking to one of Titanic's infamous wireless operators. 
And for a while, I used to get frustrated in this account that Bride was so hard on Lightholder when he clearly was traumatized by the incident and clearly said things out of rage, even contradicting himself. But I realized pretty quickly why, I think. Harold Bride was trying to protect his friend. The Titanic's collision was caused by arrogance. We all know that. But it was not one action or one person who caused the incident to occur. They should not have been going fast. The telegraphs should have been more of a priority. But can you imagine if Jack Phillips had not stayed up that entire night fixing that machine? We would talk about the Titanic as an enigma, not knowing what had happened. The death toll would have been incredibly high, if not everyone, especially if you consider the survivors who would not have anyone looking for them. I recognize that the narratives of the Titanic are imperfect, but that's what trauma does. But on this 110th anniversary of the sinking of the ship, let's just give a moment to Jack and Harold. God's Favorites is a bi-weekly history podcast where we focus on the people who are God's favorites or at least thought they were. It's the 110th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, so please feel free to go back and check out my series on Charles Lightoller and the mini-sode on Violet Jessup. I think you'll like it if you haven't listened already. Feel free to join us on TikTok for Titanic Month, where my entire month of April is covering nothing but the Titanic. You know it's like my shark week. Sources for today include the New York Times interview done by Harold Bride in the aftermath of the sinking, Charles Lightoller's Titanic and Other Ships, Titanic's American Inquiry testimony from both Charles Lightoller and Harold Bride, the Cape Race radio logs of the Titanic disaster, and Patrick Stinson's lights, as well as Walter Lord's A Night to Remember, of course. A classic if you haven't read or seen it. Join us in two weeks as we take a look at your topic-winning vote, President Dwight Eisenhower. Near, far, wherever you are, as always, see you next time, friends.